We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Last time we were together, I was talking a little bit about uh, glory. I'm going to continue that today. So last time we talked about being on a mission um, to be part of God's plan to fill the earth with his glory. We are called to represent his glory. We're called to be image of his glory, but we fell short of this. We didn't recognize him as God. We put ourselves on his throne. We used every opportunity for self-promotion and self-protection. But thank God Jesus came, rescued us by breaking our self-addiction and now filling us with his Holy Spirit, we can once again be living, breathing advertisements for him. But before I jump into the next message, I realized when I spoke about the glory last time, I talked a lot about how this fulfills us and how good it is for us. But I thought I also need to give us a warning of what happens when we don't glorify him. See, God isn't a good sharer of his glory. In Isaiah 42, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else. In Acts 12, we see Herod giving a speech to all of his people and they get very excited by this and they say, this isn't the voice of man, this is the voice of God. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. Bit of an unfortunate way to go. In the story of Babel, we see people trying to make a name for themselves. God kind of brings that to an end. Uh, in the very next chapter, we see uh, God raise up Abram and he said, I will make your name great because through you and your family, people will come to know me. Even in the story of Gideon, we see that God reduces the army of Gideon because he's concerned that the, the army will think they did it by their own power and not give him the glory. God doesn't like to share. And let's just think about that for a second. So if I've got a fire exit, it should be clearly marked as a fire exit. But if another door is complaining that it doesn't get to share the fire exit sign, I can't take the fire exit sign and also put it on a door that doesn't lead to safety. That would be criminal. In the same way, I can't take glory for myself away from God. Because in Acts 4 it says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we can be saved. You've got to have the fire exit over the door that leads to salvation. Another warning that is that if we don't give the glory to him, we will give the glory to someone or something else, and that's usually ourselves. So there's a warning, but let's get back to what I really wanted to do today. I'd said that we'd look at what, what does it actually mean to glorify God? How do I do it? How does that affect my time, how I relate to my friends, even how I deal with trauma? Because in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whatever I do, I can glorify God. So how? Well, there's three things I think we need to look at. First of all, we need to um, be motivated by awe and wonder of God. Number two, we need to make him 
visible through our speech and deeds. And three, we need to be dependent on him. So just say that again. Number one, we need to be motivated by awe and wonder in God. We need to make him visible through our speech and deed. And we need to be dependent on him. So let's have a look at that first one. We need to be motivated by awe and wonder in God. I want to be so infatuated by God that I'm constantly on the lookout because being enthralled makes me aware. Let's just imagine you're a bird watcher. A bird watcher is highly attuned to bird songs. They're, they're fascinated by them. They can tell, their tell which bird they are by their flight. They can pick out their particular squawk in amongst all of the others. Because they're interested, they become highly sensitive. Or maybe you're a big fan of a particular band. You know all the words of all their hits, but also you know the B-sides. You recognise their songs within the first few notes. You've got posters and memorabilia and signed shirts and framed records, all that kind of stuff. You know about the band members and their personal lives. You've seen them on tour and you know the release date of their next album and you've been counting the days down in complete excitement about it. Or how about there's that person that, that you fancy, that they're, they're the first WhatsApp message that you will read. Your heart races a little when they enter the room. Your ears perk up when you overhear their name mentioned in a conversation. And you find thoughts about this person relevant to any situation you find yourself in. Now, in these three examples, there's a there's a total level of involvement, a total response. It's not just an intellectual decision. You can't help but have something rising up in you in response. You've almost got to calm yourself down. You become increasingly aware, hypersensitive to the object that enthralls you. Well, God wants to be the object of your affection. And if truth be told, if we saw him with the veil removed, he would exactly be that. This is about more than morality, more than intellectual decisions, more than principles to live by. John Piper said, if all you have is a decision for Christ and not a delight in Christ, you don't have Christ. As you love him, you will become more aware of him. I remember having a conversation with one of my friends once and it's strange how two people can look at the same thing. They felt that God had not answered their prayer and abandoned them. And I saw that God was working in everything. And because I wanted to see him, I could see him. As God captures my heart and I'm fascinated by him and what he's up to, suddenly I start spotting it all over the place. I see, see what he's up to. And this isn't about trying to shove in a little spiritual conversation or, or a kind of a, a Christianese phrase just to justify the fact that we're talking. That, that just, that would be death. But the spirit can do something in me that rises up in me that makes me attentive and fascinated to all that he's doing. Another John, John Piper quote. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. 
that takes a little while to get your head around that one. We want to glorify God. We do it by just being fascinated, by loving him, by enjoying him. And that's the thing. When we're enthralled, we kind of lose the focus on ourselves. It's not about trying to self-protect or, or self-provide. When we see with the veil removed, it's less about us and more about God. Because who would go to the Grand Canyon to build up their own self-esteem? You, you don't. You go there to get lost in awe and wonder. And that's the first thing that we need. We need to be captured in awe and wonder by God. So what do you do if you don't feel enthralled with him? If you're working hard, you're trying to do the right thing, you're trying to make the right decisions, but there's, there's nothing that's rising up. You're not like a bird watcher or a fan of a band or in love with someone. Well, first thing is, don't accept that it's okay not to be enthralled. Recognising what you don't have is really important because that's, that's the point of when they're saying, God, I, I need you here. And don't try and work harder. That is exactly the opposite. It won't work. It won't get you where you want to get to. What you can do, though, is ask, God, lift this veil from my eyes. I want to have a total response to you. And that is in his very nature. nature. He says, ask and you will receive. And also be encouraged. The very fact that you want to be enthralled is the work of God already. We can't. We can't make ourselves want to be enthralled. It's already him doing it in us. And then you can choose to chew on the things that would really help you to, to, to become enthralled. What are the conversations that help you? What are the truths of God to kind of soak yourself in? It might be about confessing some things and repenting from some things. So if we want to glorify God, the first thing we need to do is be enthralled by him. And then we want to make him visible. So how do we make him visible in our speech and deeds? Well, glorifying God is actually all about that. It's just, just making him visible. Back in uh, the beginning of the year, I used a clip from the movie The Memoirs of the Invisible Man. And there's a point where he's sitting, the invisible man's sitting outside talking to, the, to this girl, and it begins to rain. And he says, you're looking at me in my eyes. And that was because the water droplets started to reveal his outline. He was already there, but he couldn't be seen. But then the rain revealed him. Well, I really want my life to reveal where he is. And uh, I want my conversations. Now, this is, I accept this is a little bit gross in, in a time of COVID. But I want the spittle of my words, of my conversation, to be like the raindrops that begin to reveal where he is. I want every essence of me to point out where he is. I had a conversation with someone, uh, with a couple of people the other day, and um, on, on Zoom, and I just started to look at that bottom corner that was blank. And I started to think, what if God entered the Zoom right now? What if he was in here? How would that change the nature of my conversations? How would that uh, make me listen a little clearer? How would that make me willing to change what I'm talking about? How do I get behind what he's doing? I had the same experience at a Costa Coffee um, 
coffee shop and talking to someone, I thought, what if God's in that chair there? How does that make me listen differently? Well, the truth is, God was in the Zoom. God was in the room. God is in the coffee shop. He is with me all the time. I just want to see what he's up to. Sometimes we know that he's there because we're talking and suddenly we're saying stuff that impresses us. We realise, actually, I've just drifted into God's mind. Or someone brings forward an idea that maybe it's contrary to how we're talking or, or maybe it just catches a momentum. You think God is influenced in this conversation. When I'm enthralled with him, I celebrate what he's doing. And that goes for what he's doing in every single human life because every, every human life is sacred. I want to know what he's up to in your life. I want to listen like a bird watcher is listening. And I want to hear what God's up to. Imagine that, never ever having a boring conversation again. Because you're actually interacting with a piece of God's artwork. And he's doing something with each of those lives. I remember having a conversation with a young person once that, that didn't know God. We were at a, uh, an event together. And he started the conversation by saying, I can't get, get my head around this God thing. I just, I just don't believe. And as we were talking, I just felt like the presence of God just, just he, he, got, he was revealed in that. It was like he dis, the, the mist of God just descended on the conversation. And, it, and this, this guy said to me, then, what have I got to do to be saved? I thought, whoa, that, the, the trajectory of this conversation has changed. What has changed? God has entered the room. God is here and he's being glorified right now. And for me, the greatest thing is I got a front row seat to watch him in action. I want that in every conversation, every interaction. I want to see that I've got a front row seat in what God's up to. That can then affect how I talk about my children's school or about house prices or Black Lives Matters or Brexit or anything can be affected when I begin to wonder, wonder what his opinion is. If he was in this conversation, how would I be different? I've been reading loads of stuff about the different cultural wars that we're in. And I was finding I was beginning to feel a little bit over, over, overwhelmed by it all. Like, oh, we've got to stand up for these things and not, not let culture change. And I thought, you know what? What if God was in my thoughts right now? What would he say? Is he fearful like I'm fearful? How do I glorify him? How can I be about my father's work? Jesus took that angle when they're trying to bring the controversial issue of paying taxes. He said, give to Caesar what Caesar's, but give glory to God. In everything you do, give glory to God. So I want my speech to give glory to God. And I want my deeds and my actions to give glory to God. In Matthew, it says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I can be a signpost to the, my Father in heaven. I want people that see my life not to say, wow, Jamie's glorious. I want them to say, whoa, God is glorious. We, we're looking for opportunities for this all the time. And You heard the advertisement at the beginning about I hope this Christmas. There's an opportunity to do deeds that glorifies our Father in heaven, that makes him visible at this time of darkness we're talking about the great light that has entered the world. 
Mark was telling me about a guy that, that he works with who has gone, done a number of jobs in different people's houses as part of the church. And he said, if everyone that I had to work for was from the church, I would go to, go to work every day happy because there's something about you guys. He saw the good deeds. There was something that he saw that was causing him to, 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 to think, to ask questions. He could get the family smell. I was talking to another friend and they said, a lot of people love you, a lot of people hate you, but no one will ever say they've been shafted by you. No one's ever been betrayed by you. And my friend said to me, it's only one second away from asking me, why do you think that is? Well, the answer is because I've got a God that wouldn't let me do that. Because if I'm made in his image, God would never betray anyone. So therefore, it would not be right for me to betray anyone. So close to asking that question. So we need to do our acts of kindness and generosity. We need to uh, care. We need to give a cup of water in his name because it glorifies him, because we love him, because that's what he wants. It's not our responsibility to make people then say it was God or ask questions. I want to use my gifts and my ability to glorify him. I was talking to a young person about humour. How do we use humour to glorify God? When humour's usually about kind of bringing someone down for everyone else's entertainment. Well, what if my humour was used to include others in the joke? What if my humour was, was used to uh, make myself the butt of the joke, to so make someone else feel a little bit more relaxed? What if I was to allow someone else to make the joke and build on the back of that? There are ways to show the nature of God through the ways that we, get, we use the gifts that he's given us. Now, obviously, we can do good deeds with no intention of glorifying God. We can do it for self-protection and self-promotion. Just like I gave the example last week that we can take the bedroom that our parents give us and the money that they give us and we can make it all about us. We can slip a little reference back to highlight ourselves and what we've done in any story or conversation. I can claim I've managed to get where I've got from my own character and my own giftings. But where did the talent and the giftings and the character come from? 1 Corinthians 4, it says, what, has, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything is from God, why do you boast if, as if it was not a gift? Sometimes you know, our employers might want people that have a lot, lot of productivity. But if I try and show off my productivity to God, he would use the immortal words of Shania Twain and say, that don't impress me much because he got no glory from me. I didn't rely on him. Therefore, it doesn't point back to him. And our doing is inseparable from our being. Our doing is the, the tip of the iceberg, but there's a lot of being underneath that. And if I'm focused on glorifying God, it will shine out in everything that I do. I was really impacted by uh, Bill Johnson's story when his father died. They were really expecting him to be healed, so it was a big shock and it was a, a dreadful pain for him. But then he had the revelation, I can give God something now that I won't be able to do for the rest of eternity. 
I can worship him from a place of pain. I don't think he'd think of that if his heart wasn't to glorify God. So, finally, we need to be dependent on him. You might be thinking, okay, I I can do this. I've I've got it. I I can take it from here. I can get on and glorify God now. But if you've really been listening to what I've been saying, you're probably going to start feeling a little bit overwhelmed. How the heck do I do this? And we've got to come to the edge of our ability and stare down into the abyss. We've got to say, you know what, I can't do it. Sometimes I think, well, I I did that one nice thing for that person and I was able to speak nicely in that point. But to keep it going all day long, my, my son has been ill this week and so I've had broken night's sleep. It's amazing how quick I come to the edge of my ability, just missing one night's sleep. And it's crucial we come to the edge of our abilities. Otherwise, we think it, it, when we say, oh, it's all for God's glory, it will just be words. It has to be for God's glory because it's him doing it through me because I can't do it. And it's a painful truth to face. I can't be a friend to the standard that God wants me to be a friend. I can't be a son or a father. I can't be a husband to the way that God wants me to be without his empowerment. I can't consistently give without expecting return. I'm constantly wanting it to be reciprocated. Otherwise, I think I might be empty if I give out my love and it doesn't come back. I'll be destroyed by any careless word that you say. If you hold back your affection, I'll come begging for it. I won't think to do the things that matter to you. I won't be motivated to share your load. I will neglect your needs in pursuit of something that promotes me. I constantly choose self-protection rather than being open and honest. I just can't do it. I can't be who God's called me to be without him doing something in me. In Love, Acceptance and Forgiveness, a book by Jerry Cook, he tells the story about um, how he would always say to his church, I will always love you, I always care for you. There's nothing you can say or do that will ever make me withdraw from you. And one day, one of the guys in his church came up and said, you know, you always say that. And he said, yeah, well, let me just tell you some things. And this guy went on to confess some of the most dreadful sins that he'd been committed, committing. And Jerry was thinking, oh my goodness, when this guy finishes confessing, I'm going to have to respond to him. And he's expecting me to respond in the way that I've promised to respond. But he reached the edge and he was looking down into the abyss. He said, you know what, I'm not going to be able to do it. But at that moment, the Spirit of God descended on him and he felt a compassion for this guy that was far beyond him. And when the guy finished talking, he could embrace him and said, you know what, there was nothing more that you could have said that would have made me despise you anymore. But because of God, I love, I can genuinely love you and care for you. See, that the Holy Spirit is an expert. He specializes in glorifying God. That's what, what Jesus says in John 16. He, he will glorify me. Well, if that's what he's doing all the time, could he come and do it from inside me to enable me where I can't do it? Then I can be a husband. I can be a father, I can be a son, I can be a friend 
the way that he needs me to be because I'm allowing him to do it through me. Imagine every morning you have to put on a harness like this. And this harness could be attached to a weight. And you're dragging that weight saying, my duty is to glorify God all day long. You're dragging that burden around. Or you can say, God, you deserve to be glorified. You are the answer to every human heart. And I want to be part of you filling this earth with your glory. But when I'm honest with myself, I've got no good to give you that you haven't already given me. I'm not good enough to actually point to you accurately. But if someone were to become more aware of you today, if someone was to love you a little bit more, be a little bit more in awe of you by something that I was able to do or say, man, that I would be totally chuffed. So God, please come and empower me to play a part. And suddenly that harness is strapped to something else that carries you all through the day. So how do we respond to this? Well, there's a couple of responses that I thought. The first of all might be, God, open my eyes to your wonders anew. Let me be enthralled by you. Take the veil off my eyes. Let me see you. I don't want this just to be about a decision, an intellectual decision. I want to be moved by you. And the second response you might want to make is saying, you know what? I desire to glorify you and I'm completely dependent on you to do it. So let my deed and my speech be inspired by you to make other people more aware of your greatness. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK. Thank you.